In Cleveland Heights, the question for residents is a matter of change. Signs lining the lawns urging the more than 32,000 voters in the city to either vote to keep or change the way they've governed themselves for 98 years. And let the chips fall where they may in November. Let the voters decide what's in the best interests of our city. Citizens for Good Government has conceded this election. We all care about this great city that we call home. We all want it to be better. The citizens of Cleveland Heights will have a say over who they want to be the mayor. All right, so we're here at Stinson Park. Welcome to Due Diligence. I'm Adam Dew, my co-host Eric Silverman. Our guest today, Mayor Michael Dillon Brennan from University Heights. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Mayor. Well, thank you for having me. Um, quickly, as always, Due Diligence is brought to you by the Heights Observer. First and foremost, please support the Heights Observer. I know, Mr. Brennan, you are a, uh, a board member of Future Heights. You understand the importance of, of, uh, of both Future Heights and of journalism and local journalism moving forward as we uh, as we move into the future. I'm just, can you tell us a little bit about your background with Future Heights? Uh, certainly, certainly. Uh, before I was uh, before I was mayor of University Heights, I, I went ahead and uh, accepted a position on the board of Future Heights and was involved uh, on, on several committees there. So one of the great things about being on Future Heights and the work Future Heights does is it's a lot of the good work that local government does without some of the more headachey type things. So getting to work on economic development, community development, uh, microgrants, uh, the Heights Observer, uh, maybe not the Heights Observer so much, although that's a great organization, but for my example, you know, you can work on those things without having to worry about, you know, the fire department budget, um, which of course is very important, but uh, you can focus on some of the more perhaps interesting and fun things that are also valuable to the community. And uh, that was one of the things I loved in particular about being on the Future Heights board was being able to uh, work with Cleveland Heights and University Heights on projects that bettered the community. And uh, Future Heights is uh, doing great work and uh, love to see that they are still doing so much in Cleveland Heights, a little bit in University Heights, but of course, uh, what's good for Cleveland Heights uh, is almost always gonna be good for University Heights as well. Um, and quickly, a little more business. Do Media, uh, sponsor of this podcast, and uh, you can come to Do Media for any video production needs that you might have. And Dude About Town, Eric Silverman, your company. Uh, what, what can you tell us about Dude About Town? Dude About Town is architectural photography, and my side business is a side business of Heights Clothing Company. So the uh, excellent designs in quality in T-shirts, hats, what have you, for Heights and Shaker. Excellent. So, Michael Dillon Brennan, we're here at Stinson Park. Yes. Uh, recently completed, completed during your tenure, right? But maybe planned before your tenure, I'm guessing? Uh, well, completed just before my tenure, uh, but planned um, uh, in advance of, and really, uh, this park, we, we like to call it the Walt. Uh, this park, uh, this park was my, uh, my, my entree into, uh, into local, local issues. Uh, I first got involved in local government and in the community by uh, petitioning uh, as a resident our city council and our city government to buy the land here the old northwood school to uh, to build what you see here uh, we didn't know at the time uh, back in 2013 or so uh, what it would look like or or what form this would all take certainly uh, we hadn't come up with a name or or whatnot but just talking with my neighbors we just thought it'd be great to go someplace to take your kid and throw a ball around and and uh, enjoy because uh, you know here in this community we have um, 
I, I love how close we all live, but we don't have a lot of backyards, or a lot, no, certainly no big backyards. So having a park like this is, uh, is essential and uh, really enhances the community. As you follow our, our push to, be, uh, to an elected mayor, what are the things that you are most concerned about and, and what, are you, what are your hopes for this, mm -hmm. the way this relationship might reset a little bit? Okay, well, first of all, I'm excited about it. I am excited that Cleveland Heights, uh, the people of Cleveland Heights made the decision to, to try something different. Um, you know, you know, uh, I'm not here to debate the city manager model versus the, the, the mayor model. Uh, they both have their merits, they both have their uh, drawbacks. You know, when I first became mayor, I, I came in as uh, somebody who'd never been in public office. I, I don't have uh, particularly special training for running a city. So, you, you know, when I, um, you know, met Tanisha Briley and learned of her expertise and, and, and working with her, you know, I became at times envious of, of the professionalism that, that and a professional approach that she had to what she was doing because of the education and training and experience that she had that, 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 that few mayors would have. But at the same time, um, uh, being a mayor, uh, you know, I'm in a position to be, you know, directly accountable to the people, and and, and I, you know, risk. Um, it's at my own peril if I don't, if I'm not responsive to needs of the community. Uh, city manager is buffered somewhat by having a city council that she answers to. Um, of course, then she has, you know, seven bosses. <laughs> and they aren't necessarily all telling her the same thing. So then she has to somehow, you know, juggle all that. And that's, that's tricky, that's tricky as well. But getting back to your question, um, yeah, I am excited that, that Cleveland Heights is, is gonna be electing a mayor. Uh, I've, I've met, uh, or at least Zoomed with, uh, everybody so far who has announced, uh, just because uh, I'm interested in working with whoever, you know, comes out on top on this. I feel like uh, this is a great opportunity for the community to discuss vision and discuss what they what they really want, and hopefully, especially the way it's set up, so that ultimately you have somebody who will win by a majority because you're going to have this runoff. Hopefully, that person has a mandate then to do the thing that 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 uh, they've set forth. You know, collaborating with uh, the community uh, for what you want Cleveland Heights to be. And um, I think sometimes, because there are so many different visions for what you could have in a community, uh, when you don't really have decisive moments where you say, this is the agenda, this is what we're gonna do. If you elect me, these are the projects I intend to embark on, these are the reforms I intend to make. And then you get in and you do them. And uh, that was a lot of what my first two years as mayor was. I ran closely with, with uh, you know, working with several members of our city council, talked about things that were important to them and important to me. And when I first got into office, uh, basically we're just checking off a list of all the things that we had basically had discussed openly in the community that we needed. And we got right to work and uh, we covered a lot of ground in a short time. Cleveland Heights uh, stands to do that too. But that means electing a good mayor. That means electing good people to city council. You gotta have both. Uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, the things that everybody's in agreement on are things that you can uh, get right to work on and make a lot of things happen in a short time. Are you, where do you, uh, where do you stand in terms of experience being a critical component to uh, being acceptable for this position? Hmm. Well, I think that Cleveland Heights has done itself a service 
by making sure that it has a chief administrative officer as well as having uh, a, a popularly elected mayor. I mean, it's kind of a belt and suspenders approach. Um, you can hire, even without a CAO, good people around you who you're able to identify to do good things. I, mean, I, I often liken it to my time as, as a litigator. As a lawyer, I often had to hire experts to testify in cases and provide expert opinion for juries to hear. And they would provide information that was beyond my expertise. I had to learn enough about what they were doing to know I was picking the right experts. And being mayor in a lot of ways is the same thing. You don't necessarily have to know everything about a particular thing, you just have to know or learn enough about it to know that you can find the right people then to do those things. And, and you bring them in, you, you, you give them something to do, and you set them off to do it. That's a lot of what we've done here. And that's a lot of what can be done in Cleveland Heights as well, but more so here. We've got this chief administrative officer just like Shaker that will continue to bring the professionalism that having a city manager had while you have a mayor that, that's offering the big vision type things, is working on various projects that seem appropriate to the mayor and is also giving direction to that CAO when it comes to policy setting and working with council and so on. I, would, I think there's a, there's a footnote to your question. The footnote to the question, which would be, in, in your example, in yes. your case in University Heights, mm -hmm. you had, well, you had a history of an elected mayor, mm -hmm. and you also had uh, members of council who were very, they had, a, they had a horse in the race, if you will. Whereas in Cleveland Heights, you're starting from scratch for the first time when there's a, a mm -hmm. I, I would say far more, we would probably debate, I think there's far more issues percolating in Cleveland Heights in this now than there were for in your race four years ago, to an, an argument can be made. Mm -hmm. And I think also the, the you didn't have any existing members of council who were running for the, mm -hmm. the position as well. So I think it's... Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that may be true. Um, I, I would say, you know, I had no experience as an elected official before be, becoming mayor. I, and it was never on city council. And in fact, when I first, you know, discussed with other folks in the community the possibility of running for mayor, it was actually brought to me. I dismissed it out of hand because I had not been on city council and I did not, I, I, I did not believe that, 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 that at first, that, that the community would elect somebody to the mayor's position who hadn't been on city council. Uh, the previous three, at least the previous three mayors, um, Infeld, Rothschild, Konigsberg, had all been on city council before they were elected mayor. And and I'm not sure about Aurelius. Aurelius was before Konigsberg. He I might have been, but you know now we're talking 1940. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> um, but but uh, but I will say that that um, as it turns out, you don't have to be. You don't have to have been on city council. And you know what you do on city council is somewhat different than what you do as mayor anyway. I mean, city council is a part-time position. You know, city council, you know, you, it's, it's, it's challenging because if you want to do it the way it ought to be done, you're, you're going to treat it as far more than a two-day-a-month commitment, <laughs> far more. Um, but at minimum, you, you have, you know, your council meetings, your committee meetings, your committee of the whole meetings. You know, in, you know there, there's a lot of work for a city council person to do, especially if they want to be thoughtful and conscientious and active and engaged in the community. But 
you know, because of the work I'd done in the community, like on Future Heights, I felt that that helped prepare me for what I was doing. I felt that my uh, life, my uh, 20 years of, 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 of legal practice uh, uh, helped prepare me as well for the kinds of issues I'd be seeing. I use that law background all the time. Sure. <laughs> and, um, you know, I don't, you know, I, I see that you have people that are running for mayor that are both, you know, on council and people who are not on council but have other life experience. Uh, I, I think that other life experience is just as good as time on council. Putting aside the, the schools for a second, mm -hmm. when you look at the next 10 years, what are the major areas that you hope to work with Cleveland Heights and, and, and where we should be collaborating more? Mm -hmm. Well, in the short term, uh, because this is going to come up uh, before we all know it again, we need to work with Cleveland Heights and with the CHUH school board on where we're going to put the school bus depot. Uh, for years it had been over at Wiley Middle School, which um, worked because uh, when we had a middle school that was open here in University Heights, having the space there, you know, it made sense to, uh, to have it there all together. You know, University Heights lost the middle school uh, derby, if you will. Um, Wiley was the newest building and yet somehow it didn't make the cut, um, which, you know, something has to go at some point. Oh, it's... <laughs> As some, some might say, the architect of the plan that was implemented, mm -hmm. uh, the reason was basically when we look in back in the late 90s, the mm -hmm. state of Ohio conducted a performance audit. Okay. And as much as it was horribly flawed and they couldn't replicate their math. And oh, you know, performance audit isn't everything? <laughs> the, well, I keep hearing it is. Oh, well, yeah. You, you, oh, when you're, you're no, comp, it's not you, it. When your comps are Mansfield and Warren amongst two of the three systems, it's sort of like you're not comparing similar. At that juncture, they said we were grossly over capacity. Of course, mm -hmm. their math for they didn't do their math right, mm -hmm. and that was 20 years or 15 years before. Wiley was closed. Basically, we looked at the geo we we gamed out. I'm going to say 20 scenarios we talked about, crafted 10 scenarios. Mm -hmm. The late facilities committee, which had two representatives from University Heights who voted on that, mm -hmm. and two members of the LFC are now on the current school board. Mm -hmm they voted for the plan was because when we looked at geography it made far more sense to keep those two buildings and envisioned Wiley as swing space to facilitate the project where the I think we'll both agree would be the school board has been derelict in mapping out a future for Wiley as I pushed for in 16 and 17 part of that's because we expected that as we were presented the way the funding would work we expected Wiley maybe would lay fallow for a year or two until we moved on to phase two. When that, the problem I think for the, the district has been not sufficiently... You mean the elementary schools? Yes, when we moved on right. the elementary, thank you. Mm -hmm. When we moved on the elementary component, we would probably use Wiley again in that phase. That was the intention. Mm -hmm. That was how it was presented to us. However, when it went from, oh, it's a couple of years to maybe in 10 years, the board, in my opinion, has been derelict in coming up with a adequate plan. I think the bus depot should stay apart until there's a, a final resolution for what the fate of Wiley is. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's kind of a chicken and egg thing when you put it like that because we can't resolve what the future of Wiley is until we do resolve the yeah. bus depot issue because uh, you know I, I get it from the school board's perspective that they could that if park suddenly decides they don't want them anymore and they have an out in their lease where where park can decide you know we just don't want this here anymore 
also Cleveland Heights could decline to extend, their planning commission could, de de could decline to extend the, the, the license to do it. Yeah. Uh, they did it once already. I mean, that took some lobbying on my part and some others uh, uh, in Cleveland Heights to help make that happen. And, you know, will they do it again? I don't know. Uh, hopefully we'll make a decision before the next time it comes up. And when I say we, I mean it's not, it's all of us. It's, it's, it's the school district, it's the board, it's, it's Cleveland Heights, it's University Heights, it's, it's, it's all the stakeholders. Um, and I know there are folks up on Mayfield who aren't particularly keen about having the school buses up there. Um, at the same time, I'm not particularly keen about having 60 school buses parked next to land that ought to be redeveloped. It limits your options. You know, who wants to build next to 60 school buses out your window? Um, There'll be, there'll be some that won't mind that at all, but it does limit what you can do. And, you know, there may be other things you can do to, to make that work, you know, you know, when it comes to shading or arrangement or, 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 or what have you. Um, it, you know, I, I, I'm not going to be as, I'm not going to go so far as to say the school board's been derelict because of the... Uh, uh, you let Eric do that. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll leave that to Eric. Yeah. It's his own, you know, it's his own. Uh, and, and, and Eric's had the benefit of being on the school board, well, so saying, he's, he's you know, right. Well, I, you know, you can def he means that in the best possible way. Well, yeah, I but. I mean, I think everybody thought that the elementary schools would be taken up sooner than, than okay. they've been. And, and I think they found that the situation on the ground changed with regard to what was available to them. And, and, and what assistance they would get from the state. I mean, it sounded, I mean, my impression was, was that the state told them, you know, hey, five years from now, we should be able to do this. And five years later, they were still saying, five years from now, we should be able to do this. Well, you know, that's unhelpful. Yeah. Well, and the state has, you know, all too often made it impossible for local government and, and, and local agencies to long range plan. How do you long range plan at RTA, by the way, if, if, if the state is constantly screwing with your budget? I mean, when they're, when they're talking about taken away the kind of money that they were taken away and I know that a lot of ground's been made up in the process but you know it's opportunity cost too I mean all that effort was spent just trying to get RTA and public transportation to keep what they had instead of effort spent on on doing more and better things for the community and, and for and, and communities around the state you know one of the things that just slays me is this is this you know 48 50 million dollar initiative to to advertise to the rest of the country that they should move to ohio because uh you know we're a progressive state <laughs> and and this is and we have zero corporate tax and that this is a you know a great place to basically come and 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 and, and hopefully never need an abortion or 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 pay a lot of local taxes or or uh you know see the fight over public transportation over and over again when other states our size uh, are, are, are doing far more to fund public transportation all the time. <laughs> and, and these are things that, that I think people do look at. I mean, I got friends in Seattle and Washington, in, in, in New York City taking pictures of these billboards, sending them to me, and they're joking, they're mocking us because they know they were from here and they, they lived here and, and, they, and, they, and they, know it, they, know it's, they, they know it's advertising, it's putting lipstick on the pig, it's painting the grass green, it's not actually doing the things that make people want to live here. Hmm. Now, I've tried to do a lot to make people want to live here. I mean, this park is one of them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, again, like I said before, th th this, this was something that was, you know, long range. I didn't open this park. This is something that we as a community had worked on together. It was how I got into local issues was getting involved in the first steps of, of acquiring this land and being on the community that uh, helped decide what might be here. But, but uh, you know, University Heights has the largest group of 18 to 36 year olds in the county. 
No other community has more than we do. A lot of that's because of John Carroll University, mind you, but, but, a lot, but a lot of those folks aren't even at the university. This is a community that's affordable, that air, the houses are close together, a lot of neighborly um, uh, considerations here. You know, sometimes people are like, you know, when you lived in the dorm back in college and, and you know, you could get out and you knew all the people, you know, this is almost like that. You, you can get out and know your neighbors and, and, and we have block parties and had them for years and, 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 and people know each other here and they like that. Now, sometimes people, you know, buy a house here, they're here for five or six years and then they parlay that into a next house, bigger house someplace else. Well, that's, that's fine. And, you know, that also makes those homes available for more young people to come in. And that's one of the reasons why we are such a young community and why we, uh, uh, you know, we want to cater to that. We want to foster that. We, you know, it's a strength that we should be, that we should be uh, building on. Mm -hmm. Well, since you, you mentioned it and something that I've seen for years, mm -hmm. we call the seven and out where someone buys a house and then after seven years they moved out. And I remember from looking at data back, of course, this is almost 25 years ago, where University Heights had one of the lowest repurchase rates where people would buy their home, their second home in the district or in the community, mm -hmm. whereas most of the community, most of the cities that had very high repurchase rate typically were uh, new construction. So in Westlake, the only aberration, again, for 25-year-old data was Shaker. The question I would pose is, in that regard, and also considering usually people buy a home one and a half times the current valuation, mm -hmm with the is i guess it's more i guess it's more of a school thing than a city thing is there any way i guess to me is the mindset of who buys a home in university heights in, in is looking to move out are they always going to move east or is there any way for us to get them to move west into cleveland heights into a larger home or is it always that they're moving for newer construction mm -hmm. uh. That's 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 an interesting question, and and I would have to. I I would say that that my own experience is is that's all over the place, you know. There are, there are a lot of different trends to look at, and, and perhaps I'm somebody who bucked the trend because I've I've bought two houses in my life, and both of them are in University Heights, mm -hmm. so I'm one of those people that bought a house and then bought another house, right. um, which you know, per your example, that shouldn't have happened. I should have moved someplace else, mm -hmm. um, but I love it here. So, well, I, I guess, right. I mean, I, part of, I think part of it goes to, and you know, mm -hmm. I, is that in my opinion, I may have said to you, or, mm -hmm. you know, University of sort of has four types of housing stock, the pre-war three bedroom, one and a half bath, mm -hmm. and the post-war version of that. Mm -hmm. Then you've got your four bedroom, two and a half bath, pre-war and post-war. And it seems that a, a fair amount of the, I don't want to say upgrade, mm -hmm. but the, the larger home where people would naturally progress to, mm -hmm. frequently with the different sub-communities attractions, mm -hmm. Jezu, John Carroll, mm -hmm. uh, all the shoals on Green Road, mm -hmm. the higher end, that, that step-up housing where people would upgrade to, I think people may be priced, theoretically there's more competition for that, for folks who really want, who there's a specific reason for them to stay, as opposed to, hey, I like, oh, okay, if, I, if you're not using one of those institutions, you're just going to move to Shaker, you move farther out east. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that would be sort of where, you know, it, 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 at least my thumbnail, mm -hmm. you know, well, and that's why it was so important to me that 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 our community pass the uh, that, that our community acquire the status of having a citywide community reinvestment area, because one of the things that we were able to do since I've gotten here is let people build the house they want here, hmm. and or or build the addition to the house they want here, and know that they could afford it because the increase in value would be tax abated. 
I mean, that ended up applying to those townhomes we talked about. But we got people around the city who were going to move out. They were going to go to Pepper Pike. They were going to go to Solon. They were going to go someplace, probably east, where they could have the house they wanted. But now they can build it here, and they can stay here with the people they know and the community they already love and get all that. They can have their cake and eat it too. And, the, and have the confidence in knowing that their property taxes aren't going to go up even though they added rooms to their home. So, um, you know, so that helps them finance, you know, the, the, the addition. Uh, we've, you know, we've had fewer people move out as a result. We've had other people move in knowing that they'd be able to take advantage of that. And that has changed the market here. So, um, you know, I, I'd like to think that it's, that's been a net positive. And, and there is something where, you know, tax abatement made something happen that, that, that wouldn't happen otherwise. It, it, it did put our thumb on the scale to change up what we were doing, got some people to stay who, who might not have stayed, brought some people in who might not have come. Uh, to circle back quickly to Wiley, do you have a dream scenario? Like, is there something planned you're pitching for Wiley and for the bus depot that you think is, a, is the way to go? Well, I don't have a particular dream site for the, for the bus depot. Um, but the, the dream scenario is that it's not at Wiley right. and that uh, Wiley ends up, especially with University Square being hopefully redeveloped, that uh, that, that makes Wiley more attractive for redevelopment for something that complements what goes on at University Square. University Square is the big domino here because there's, there's so many other things that, 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 that will take shape once we know what's happening at University Square with, with certainty. Uh, we have developers who have been interested, are interested, been interested in some time. The pandemic slowed things down considerably, but the deal's still alive, but it's just moving forward at just glacial pace. Um, big critical part of that is the redevelopment of the Koreas. You know, this common area agreement uh, has to be done with Target and Macy's. Target and Macy's own their own land, own their own buildings. You know, uh, the only way Macy's is going anywhere is if Macy's just ends. Mm. If Macy's is no longer a concern, then and only then, I think, would we ever see Macy's out of University Heights. Mm. Because they own that land. They, uh, Macy's or its predecessor have been here since 1957. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Mays on the Heights was the first suburban uh, May company in Cuyahoga County. And I have to qualify it in Cuyahoga County because there was one out in Lorain County that was built first. Huh. So... May Company has had this presence here. May Company and Coffins and Macy's. It, it, it's, it's, it is a flagship store in many ways. Not the flagship, but a flagship. And, uh, and it is, um, it is a, uh, you know, they're a big stakeholder. And we gotta make sure that they're taken care of. We gotta make sure Target's taken care of. It's, that Target store is one of the most profitable Target stores in the region. Huh. And they are doing that well in spite of all of the neglect around it, in spite of all the empty storefronts. Just think how good they could be doing if the rest of that development was actually working the way it could be. Yeah. Well, you know, just a historical fact, because I know people like to decry the project, and mm -hmm. I was on the, I was on the school board when your two uh, two predecessors before you pretty much put a gun to our the school board's head and said, cut a deal. Mm -hmm. The board of, just for because you got a wider audience, I guess. The Board of Ed struck the best deal it could, got our money. We didn't trust the developer or whatever, got mm -hmm. our what we were going to get over 30 years. We got it up front. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness for that. And the site plans that we were shown 
this is pre 9-11 pre-recession they showed the entirety of the project leased out spare for some of those real nook and cranny basement spaces 9-11 hit the recession hit and then it became pretty much a, a ghost town that never filled its, hit its promise but we were basically the board of it, the, the way we explained to us was the Kaufmans had sold the land to a Dutch conglomerate who owned tops. They were basically saying, look, either do this deal or we're going to tear it down, and just put up a grocery store in a, in a strip plaza. The mayor university Heights very at the time, not you very much wanted it, refused to meet with the board of ed ever to negotiate. Always sent the law director and the police chief. We, the board of ed struck the best deal it could. But the, the key I like to point out was at that time it was proposed, it was showing us Office Max is going to open up Joanne Fabrics. They had the whole space pretty much leased out. And it, unfortunately, it never came to fruition. And what's always dogged, in my opinion, has always been bad lighting in the garage, bad signage in the garage, and bad striping. Because bad that's construction of the garage. That I, I'm not a structural <laughs> engineer. I, I mean, I'm not either, but I can tell you it's not built yeah. well. Well, because it, it, then it's gone through, you know, the, the mayor would know better than I as far as the owners and what have you. I think it pretty much the, the folks who originally, I think it was Inland Development or someone, no, Inland was somebody else. It was uh, Starwood. Starwood. Starwood Wasserman. Starwood Wasserman, they were, they quickly cashed out, which was surprising because they were the big proponents and they were very good, sale, very good in, in selling it. And we we didn't like, we weren't thrilled with it, but at the, I should say from the board of ed. But it was like, hey, let's get the best deal we could. We did, and unfortunately, it, it went south from almost 20 years ago now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, this is a development that has spent most of its time being a failure. Yeah. Um, and and to your point, Eric, uh, uh, there are storefronts that that you look inside the windows and the floor isn't even finished because it was never occupied wow. yeah. they were going to be built out to suit whoever came in and nobody ever came in so they were never finished i mean to go where you know the storefronts beyond where the footlocker used to be and look in the windows and say where's the rest of it it was never built you know these are what do you call that a temkin village or something you, you, know, you got the fronts but you don't have the you don't have the interiors and then you know we have the starwood to inland to uh, Kassab up in Detroit who bought it and then Kassab went and started gutting the place hmm. and you know he owned it so you know so it's hard to say what he did was criminal except for the part where where he wasn't paying any of the property taxes <laughs> so he's gutting the place he parcels off a piece of it sells it for a million bucks puts it in his pocket uh, guts the thing so that the, the storefronts that were built out aren't even le aren't even rentable or use usable. I mean, I, I've had plenty of calls from folks who are like, "Yeah, I'd love to move into where, you know, Joanne was or where Footlocker was," and they're not they're not they're not ready to go. They're, you know, they took all the fixtures, took all the copper. I mean, you, you hear about vacant homes and people stealing the copper. You don't expect somebody who owns a, you know, a big shopping district to go and take all the copper out of their property, but that's what this guy did. Wow. What did he split off and sell? Uh, the, the, bank, one, right? the bank property. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. A million dollars. Yeah. That's that it's, little. That's silly on the, the, the <laughs> shame on the bank for paying that kind of money too. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's it's. Uh, so when we've got, um, when we've got you know Brad Cohen and and Greg Levy and 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 you know the track record that Cohen has, uh, like with Lakewood Center North. And, and knowing that that they can take um, property that's basically gutted anyway, take the skin off it, redo the inside, turn it into apartments, and, and then have 200 households 
that can shop at Target and Macy's and, and bring life to that and, and then perhaps bring other retail or entertainment or, or, or something else in phase two. Uh, I mean, that, that changes the landscape over there. That changes and, and, and takes something that has been a failure for so long and, and, and gives it a way to be successful. You use the existing structure, ideally, for that new development? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you take the, the what we call the, the Cedar Tower, which is where, to uh, not Tops, excuse me, uh, where TJ Maxx used to be. Mm -hmm. And you insert an extra floor in between each of these high level, you know, big box floors. Mm -hmm and you peel the skin off it and make a new facade, which, which is apartment living. Mm -hmm. and, and then you build the apartments on each level, the existing levels and then the new levels you put in between, suddenly you got six levels of living. But basically, I mean, basically it's just a, a steel, it's just a, a steel girder box. The only variation here is that mm -hmm. the retail spaces and what have you are like the equivalent of two stories. Mm -hmm. And you just, well, that's why I always thought the construction schedule based upon that was like, well, that is extremely, uh, you know, very fast paced. The question I would pose is that you mm -hmm. said that the that iteration of the concept is still still mm -hmm. happening. It's just mm -hmm. it's been slow because of COVID. Well, yeah. I mean, you have to you know keep in mind that that that, that they got to work out the parking garage. They got to work out who's going to park where. Yeah. You know, it's in Target's interest to make sure that they have adequate parking for for uh, for their shoppers. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's in the interests of the developer who is building these apartments that they have adequate parking for the people that would come to live in those apartments. And, and that the parking for them makes sense, just like the parking for the Target shoppers makes sense. You know, and then Macy's has the similar issue, but Macy's letting Target take the lead here. So uh, Macy's, Target, and, the, and, and University Square, the bondholders, and an LLC that they've created to kind of represent their interests, they, they're in kind of a three-way responsibility of taking care of the parking garage, which when, uh, uh, when the new developers come in and buy up the rest of University Square, they step into the shoes of those bondholders to be you know, that third partner of three for parking garage, uh, upkeep, maintenance, and, and so on. What well, part of this is demoing a portion, a small portion of the parking garage to open things up a little bit, make it a little brighter, um, have it make more sense with regard to the apartments they want to build, and but also finding a way to do it that is uh, that minimizes disruption to Target Macy's, but Target in particular because it's on their end. If you can picture where you used to walk from the parking garage into TJ Maxx, that that would be gone. And the area below it is where the trucks come out when trucks deliver goods to Target. So the time that it will take to do that demo is disruptive to Target with extent, to the extent that they are trying to restock their shelves. And what can be done to ensure the Target can continue to operate or you know, and minimize the disruption best they can. Those are the kinds of terms they have to negotiate and are still you know, trying to work out. I'm confident they'll get there. But you know, in pre-pandemic times, you could get everybody into the same room and, 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 and nail this. Instead, you, know, you got a series of Zoom calls, phone calls, emails. You know, it's all very disparate and disjointed and, and, and nobody's really together. And then you know, Target, of course, has all kinds of different departments that they got to deal with. You know, you got your real estate department, you got logistics, and and do they have everybody at the table they need to have at any one time? Apparently not. You don't know, right? Yeah. You so, can't force that. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I I can pick up the phone and call and call Minnesota, call Minneapolis where Target's headquarters is, talk to their real estate person. I have her name. It's in my cell phone. You know, we we, we talk, but 
but it's not the same as actually getting together and getting it done. The plan. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, to to wrap Wiley up a little bit, mm -hmm. like you know, I, there, people talk about different scenarios. Mm -hmm. Like, could Wiley be? You know, Joe, President Biden talks a big game about mm -hmm. early childhood education. Could mm -hmm. it be a hub for? You know free preschool for all eventually you know down the road and that probably would appeal i would think to bring in more young families here mm -hmm. right and yeah, as, as, a, as a possibility mm -hmm. um you know yeah. is there a community center for university heights even in some mm -hmm. fashion right is there some way to sort of partition it out to create a better use for it down the road i don't know i don't know where yeah. if any of these ideas are Possibly. bouncing around your head or not well, no they, they do they do but but everything everything every idea that that we have at the city with regard to what we could do with wiley is all preconditioned on the school district reaching a conclusion that it no longer has an educational purpose i don't think they're there yet and 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 maybe they don't get there maybe they will continue to find uses for Wiley. And as long as they do, you know, I, I mean, I hope that they're good and productive uses that are worthy of the space it takes. But even right now during the pandemic, they've been using Wiley, uh, the, you know, for, you know, when you got kids that, that don't have a, a, a good home life from where they can remote in for school, they're taking them over to Wiley so they can remote into the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so you got kids going to school so they can remote into the school. And that sounds a little convoluted and yet it makes perfect sense. The school district for, was fortunate to have the space to be able to provide that to the students that needed it most, who, who were in situations where, where, where they couldn't easily remote in from home. And uh, thank goodness we could do that. So thank goodness they stole Wiley to do that. Well, right? the same way, you know, when I was on the board, share with my colleagues, I shared with the mayor, I shared with members of the University Heights Council. Here's some different scenarios I thought of for Wiley. Mm -hmm. The as much as I there's always a especially after Taylor closed, there was a big rush. Oh especially some of our most vocal critics. So sell Taylor, sell Taylor, sell Taylor. Mm -hmm. And what it, but the, the flip side was, Taylor for a while was a temporary location of the, the Heist Library when we renovated the main building. It became, it was Taylor Academy, now it's the Options Center, which is a phenomenal program. I mean, that is, I gotta give credit to the gentleman whose names are escaping me because I'm terrible with names, but the gentleman who run that, he's been, that program is phenomenal. And now we also have part of the CTE program. So as much as there's always a, hey, get rid of it, you don't need it. The flip side is, is from a public use standpoint, vacant buildings, Taylor's the best example, Coventry's probably one of the worst examples, have been able to repurpose it. As much as I would love to see something happen with Wiley, I think the question ends up being, the district really needs to do its due diligence and figure out what its plan is. And that even touches onto another topic, which would be Milliken, because I view Milliken and Wiley connected i think that the district you know and, and the, with the bus depot i think they have to view it from a what's the big picture as opposed to piecemeal yeah i mean when it comes to the bus depot again you know shaker heights is, is facing a similar situation i mean there could be a bus depot that services both districts sure. uh, you know that could be a possibility but again you have to find a place to put it you know from from my point of view in university heights if i just want to be you know, Rob Rao University Heights. Cleveland Heights has has uh, ha has far more space and than than we do. You know, so you know you ought to be able to find somewhere in there. And and it would make more sense that a bus depot be centrally located. You know, having it on the edge of the district, i.e., at Wiley. How much sense does that really make? You know, you're adding all this additional wear and tear on the buses. Now, granted, if you relocate that bus depot outside of the city, then that maybe maybe that makes even less sense. You know, when I say outside the city, I mean outside the district. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but those are those are some of the issues we you know we got to look at. So you're saying we should move the bus depot to Severance? 
Well, it makes too yeah. much sense. Unfortunately, the sarcasm doesn't <laughs> convey with the mask, but yeah. no, yeah. that's why I think. Uh, no, I, I mean, it's, there's land at Severance. Well, that's yeah. well, we could put it where the metro is. We could mm -hmm. tear, we could cut all the trees down. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> and 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 that's also why there today. that's also why similarly <laughs> University Square is the domino that it is right. because yeah. even though we need to build new City Hall, we're still operating out of a 1925 era building, yeah. uh, and we and you know. I, I mentioned those houses over there that we have offices in. I mean, the, the pandemic was the one time that the that the completely decentralized way our city offices are configured actually was to our benefit. It's not to our benefit any other time. We have rental space in in the city. We've got we we, we don't have a, a meeting room that our council can meet in that's ADA compliant. Uh, we've been taking our meetings over at the school board in the year leading up to the pandemic because we could no longer yeah. hold them in our own council chambers. We need new city hall so badly. And I've already got council members who are like, it'll never be able to sell it to the community. Well, we won't be able to sell it to the community if council members are already trying to hedge the bet that we can only sell them a new police department, new fire department. Ooh. We, yeah, we have, okay. our police department was built, you know, like in 1954, the building. Our, our, our firehouse was built in 1941. Our, our city hall in 1925 and our service garage. I mean, for as for as awful as the service facilities are in, Cle in Cleveland Heights, you got you got. I, I've seen video where oh look at how the roof is leaking in this garage, and you can see how the garbage trucks are getting all wet. Our garbage trucks are parked outside over there. <laughs> we don't have a garage large enough to put garbage trucks in. And it's leaking in your office. Uh, well, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's leaking. Well, you know, I was I was mere not not three months when I came over on a Sunday in work clothes and help mop out the flood in the basement right. of City Hall. Yeah. And we threw out all the carpeting. I didn't even replace it because how many times are we going to lay carpet and throw it away? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. not my question, but the, 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 the challenge I think the City University Heights space is the same for the Board of Ed with Wiley, which we can, is that you're talking facilities that are 50, 60, 70 years old, mm -hmm. is that to do it right and address it, it's okay, hey, that's great, Where, where's the money come from? because I think that's that's the biggest challenge. My question, which isn't on your legal pad, but my question would be, you, because I'm, sadly, I don't follow University Heights politics that closely. Your, how many, I think, I know, I can only think of two, is it only two or more than two members of council who currently serve were there when you got elected? And because of term limits, we're gonna lose Phil Ertle and we're gonna lose Sue Party. Mm. Uh, they, they do not, they are not allowed to run again. We're gonna have two open seats in the city. And, you know, people come, people go, you know, the city continues. My big thing is, is making sure that we have some people that run who are active and engaged and are forward looking and, and, and are interested in making things happen. Um, you know, what we can't afford to have are council members who are only interested in the bottom line. The bottom line is important. You know, making sure that the money is good is important. You have to make sure your money is good in order to do things. But in the end, it doesn't serve the community to just say that you passed a balanced budget. What serves the community are the services you deliver. They are, they are, it's the programming you do. It's the things that you do to make the community a better place to live. And, and the money is a means to an end to that. It's not the end in and of itself. And lately, I think council is only looking at how little can we do and in order to afford a very small way of looking at the community. And that's a change not for the better. And we need people in the community who are looking at improving the community, looking at the way forward in the community. I've, I've got folks who are saying, you know, we need to, you know, make a, 
make a, a, a master spreadsheet of, of, of all the things that we should be doing as if the four different spreadsheets we have aren't enough, that they're not following already. <laughs> you know, these are equipment replacement schedules, capital purchases we need to make that, 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 that the council presently doesn't fund. Mm -hmm. So if we put them on one big spreadsheet and don't follow it, what was the point? And if we had one big spreadsheet, I bet the same group of people would say, we need to break these out into four spreadsheets so we can see them each separately. Well, it could be because I mean, they don't understand tabs on the Excel spreadsheet. Best. It could be. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they, they could be tabbed, but it's like different department spreadsheets. So they are different spreadsheets, but, but yeah, that, that'd be a way of doing it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, then we could do it both ways. You could have, here it is broken down in four ways, and here it is all in one. And you can link the different, <laughs> the different pages, all can, the different sheets can be linked together as well. Yeah, but, the, but again, you can have all the plans you want. If you're not going to follow the plan once you make it, then what was the point of all that effort? I have two more. I want to keep you much longer. You've been very generous. Uh, two mm -hmm. more quick, two more topics, major sort of major points I want to talk mm -hmm. about, and then mm -hmm. just a few quick hitters. Uh, Number one, thank you for going down to Columbus to testify mm, yes. uh, mm -hmm. on behalf of uh, the schools and, and, and trying to get the state to fund EdChoice fully at the state level. Do you want to explain to the people of Cleveland's and University Heights like, why you take that position and why you are more active maybe than some of your, than at least your previous predecessor in terms of like your support for public education? <laughs> okay. Well, I've always supported public education. I, 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 I was a public school student myself. My, my father was president of his teachers' union. Uh, I, I grew up, you know, steeped in the idea that public schools are, are essential. Now, one of the great things about University Heights and Cleveland Heights is, is there's so many educational opportunities. You've got the public schools. You need a strong public school base as, 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 as one opportunity. You've got great private schools, uh, you know, religious and otherwise, that, that, that students in this community and in Cleveland Heights uh, attend. Um, and, and we have, you know, we have a robust number of choices here. So to that end, uh, you know, you got to make sure that the that, that that the that the that the you know that the most that the default choice, the public school choice, you got to make sure that that continues to be a strong and viable option. You don't want people moving here and assuming they can't send their kids to public schools. That, that's and not a lot good. of people do. Uh, yeah, a lot but, of people move here just <laughs> thinking they're never going to send their kids to our schools, which is. A choice they should make with their own eyes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I've seen our schools. I've, I've seen what I've seen the things that we have to offer. And you know, I didn't grow up here. I, I grew up east of here. I grew up in Ashtabula County and in Mahoning County. And and I, I went to public schools that that don't begin to offer. It didn't then and don't now begin to offer what the CHUH public schools do. The programs, the the the, the opportunities, the, the 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 different the the different options and 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 extracurriculars and the arts and the STEM and the and the international baccalaureate. We had none of that where I came from. And these are things that are valuable, and people need to know about them. They need to appreciate just what they have here in these schools. We got this, we got this report card that is not a not a true measure of how our schools are, but as a political tool designed to dismantle public schools. So, of course, the report card looks bad. It's made to make schools look bad. There are no first ring schools that have good marks on this report card. It is a political device. It is not an accurate measure of how the school is actually doing, nor was it intended to be. But people think it is, and that's a problem. And when it comes to, you know, vouchers, when it comes to ed choice, you know, I, I, I support people educating their children 
that's a private choice in, in, in a way that makes the most sense for their family. And that may mean going to public school or going to public school. It may also mean going to private school. The mission that we should have is to make sure all the children are educated. And there are different ways of going about it. So if, if, if your choice is to send your kid to Hebrew Academy or St. Ignatius or, or, or Hawken or Jesu or, or Lutheran East or, you know, wherever it is, <laughs> then, then, then we, we should be helpful in, in making it, it, it possible for your kid to go there. I don't have a problem then, you know, with school vouchers existing on one level. But I do have a problem with the idea that, that, that it becomes a unfunded mandate on the state. That it from the state. From the state. Not yeah, us. right. To just drain money out of, out of the public school system, uh, hastened by this political report card mm -hmm. that is designed to dismantle public schools. I mean, it's a rigged game. And, you know, I think about you know, this is kind of personal thing. Growing up, I, I met Jim Trafficant when I was a middle schooler. Mm -hmm. And I met him again when I was in college. And one of the things that's always stuck with me is, is he said, you know, it, when the game is rigged, only suckers play by the rules. Now he took that to mean that, you know, don't be a sucker, game's rigged, so rig it your way. Of course, he ends up in federal prison. <laughs> <laughs> the better lesson to take from that is, is when the game is rigged, you gotta fix the game. You gotta fix it, you gotta repair it. Right. You got to go and make it fair. You got to make it so that when people play by the rules, they can come out on top. And 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 with that, with that, you know, you got to do something about this report card. You got to do something about these vouchers. I support, you know, letting people who have the vouchers continue to get the vouchers and continue to make that available. But make that a line from the state budget. Have that come straight from Columbus. And and have that have that be how that's funded. It, it, if it is the state's public policy to do that, then have the state back it with the money from the state. We could potentially go a decade without another levy. That's yeah. right. If yeah. we do that, if we, if that one tweak is made. That's right. Yeah. A decade without another school levy. We could. We could. Well, there, I, that's, I, I, when you do the math, it is not inconceivable that we could reach a point where the Ed Choice vouchers consume every dollar that we receive from the state of Ohio. Yeah. I mean, it's not inconceivable by the ratio. I mean, I, I see when I, I I, I disagree with the mayor. I fundamentally have a problem with the concept that public dollars are used to send somebody to a private religious school. But it's settled law, though. No, no. no I, well, I disagree, too. Well, but I'm, I'm, I'm well, trying to operate it, like it's me, settled call law. Call me silly, but uh, Plessy versus Ferguson was also settled law. The point <laughs> being is that I have deferred attorney yeah, now. There's a lot I, of young know, Supreme Court justices on there that but, just got put on. But though, the man. thing is, is that the of the three scenarios of way you could do it where the state mm -hmm. funds the entire the state funds mm -hmm. just what would be coming to the district or the current one two of those are far more pal two of those would take us from a oh my god we're losing millions to okay we're, we don't have a levy for 10 years oh, 10 years is it? Oh, very optimistic we don't have we don't have a levy for five or six years or you minimize if it was just the amount that would be awarded per pupil that to me the killer is the amount of the ed choice voucher exceeds what the district would receive from that for, for from the from the state for that uh, non-public student mm -hmm. to me that is where it crosses that rubicon where it's like okay if you're going to do it fine but you've gone from now it's taking money that would be going to a public school student to underwrite a private school student mm -hmm. um Another topic, Rita. Sure. Rita, mm -hmm. COVID's, yep. COVID's sort of working its way out of our municipal system, hopefully, fingers mm -hmm. crossed, right? Right. But more people on the backside of this are going to be working from home. So 
Is there any movement amongst the regional suburban leadership to make sure that more of that RITA money stays in the municipalities instead of going downtown as people work remotely more? Because we have great communities to work from home from, obviously. Well, we do. We do. I, th I think we have to proceed carefully here. Uh, a, a lot of municipal budgets, whether you're talking downtown Cleveland or whether you're talking right here in University Heights, are, are based upon projections. They're based upon what you think is coming. And, and if you do something wildly disruptive, like to say, all right, uh, everybody, uh, if you're working in place, now you have to pay right here and only here. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's wildly disruptive to wherever it is you normally work, but that's also, you know, and it could be a boon for, for the community that you're in. That's true, but it could also work the other way as well. I mean, our largest employer is John Carroll University. And when they were having folks, uh, you know, remote in, do remote classroom, you know, where, where are all those professors now paying taxes? They're our largest employer. If suddenly they're paying taxes someplace other than here, the same thing happens to us. Now, I suspect that, that in University Heights, um, if that change were to be made, though it would be disruptive, we would probably come out on the ahead. better end of that. We would definitely come out ahead. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know people in Cleveland Heights, for instance, who, who work at Case Western and now they're working at home. And, and if they were paying all their taxes to Cleveland Heights as opposed to having to split it with, Cle with the city of Cleveland, that would help Cleveland Heights. Well, the lawyers and doctors, well, not the doctors, the doctors are going into work, but like the lawyers down, mm -hmm. like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but, but the, how we go about it, it should be done, it's, you know, we, this is something that should probably be slow walked, it needs to be studied. We need to make sure that what we do is not overly disruptive so that, you know, municipalities can plan and, 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 and can work with that. Uh, it, 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 the, we don't know what our budget projections are, really, if, it, 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 you know, and when I say we, I don't just mean my city, I mean all the cities. Mm -hmm if you completely change how, how this funding works. Um, and, and then there's a lot of, uh, you know, administrative burden, if you will, even on, on the employers themselves. Sure. It, it, you know, they, they count on these payroll offices to, to do a lot of, you know, this work. I mean, a lot of payroll offices, you know, it's a time and time again, it's like, well, they didn't withdraw, from, they didn't withhold from IRETA taxes or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, they find themselves with this hefty bill to the city, et cetera. But, but if they were paying taxes to the city of Cleveland, and now they're not, uh, the other thing I'll look out for is, is, is the, uh, the effect of, of folks that live in townships and places that don't have a city tax at all. And are we going to face an exodus from cities generally? I don't know. I don't know. We don't know how this is going to shake out. So, you know, the, the provision that temporarily made it so that wherever the job is, is basically domiciled is where the taxes are. Uh, in the long run, that probably isn't fair, but in the short term, it's, it's wildly disruptive to do it any other way. So there's something about uh, going forward about this prudently, maybe finding a sharing arrangement, doing, doing something. That, that takes the place to smooth this out so that you don't have wild swings of money, like a, a wild influx one place and a wild you know, uh, shortage someplace else. I just look at the taxes that the people of Cleveland Heights University Heights are already paying and assuming that mm -hmm. if something benefits us, it's probably a long time coming. Like it's probably something that mm -hmm. if you were talking about fairness, mm -hmm. like, like we're already paying a lot. We are. Generally. We are, and people generally feel taxed out. You know, right. you, you don't want to spend more than you have to. Uh, 
you don't want to have to pay more and, and, and get less. You know, I, I get all that. And, and, and it, it, you know, everything that we do here in University Heights, we try to do with the money we have as opposed to, or the money that we can get from other sources, whether it's grants or, or other funding, and, and, and not, you know, just go back to the well over and over again. What's your impression of where this COVID uh, sort of bump can be spent, how it can be spent, the money that from the federal, the latest stimulus plan, there's, I mean, you said two and a half million dollars is coming to University Heights. Mm -hmm. Cleveland Heights is supposed to see as much as $20 million from the, yeah, from the uh, stimulus plan. I saw even more. Yeah, it's right. yeah. yeah, I mean, the spreadsheet I saw, it was upwards of 45 million. Yeah. So uh, yeah, which is which is. Which do you is understand why? Is it just a population based? Like, are we just tiered out? Like, are it's, we still grandfathered into that 50k like yes. level? It's because it's because Cleveland Heights is still an entitlement city. Wow. For CDBG, and 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 that is a you know that's a great thing for Cleveland Heights, and and it's not a bad thing for University Heights too. You know, mm -hmm. the, the fact that Cleveland Heights gets this extra money that helps boost what it can do, and the and the way that that CDBG money is spent to make. Cleveland Heights, a vibrant community. Uh, having a vibrant, big, vibrant community right next door to University Heights is good for University Heights. So I don't begrudge Cleveland Heights getting the CDBG money, and I would hate to see them lose it. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it and and that and there's a real threat of that. There's a real danger of that because Cleveland Heights dipped below 50,000 in population with the last census, and there's no reason to think they'll be above it with the uh, census that we're waiting on the results on. Zero. So yeah, right. So so with that, you know, will they still be an entitlement city? Hopefully, the political will there is to make sure it happens. The, you know, one way you make sure it happens is you find a way to grow your population, and if they, and if you can't grow it through, uh, through more people moving in, then maybe you grow it through annexation, you know. I realize this is like political third rail stuff, but the thing is, is if you were to merge Shaker and Cleveland Heights and University Heights and South Euclid into one city, we'd be bigger than Parma. We'd be, you know, a top ten city in the, in the, uh, in the state, mm -hmm. and and that would mean real attention would have to be paid to us in Columbus and in Washington, and and the needs wouldn't be any different. It would just be the way we organize ourselves. No, we all have shared interest. Right. That's sort of one, of one of the reasons why we're doing these conversations mm -hmm. is that is to sort of show that. Mm -hmm. I have friends that hate when I talk about mm -hmm. the, the idea of the mer of that kind of a merge. Right. You know, but it's like, how are you, are you doing your homework if you're not at least talking about it? You well, know, yeah. like, I mean, you should be afraid to talk about it. I won't say which mayor it is, but one of my neighboring mayors once said that 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 you know in the face of a possible city merger that that the possibility of being the final mayor of that city was not unappealing for that reason hmm. that there would be that there is something to be gained in banding together that way now there are certain redundancies that happen because we are separate cities there are certain ways that we can fix some of those redundancies by having you know districts you could you could have a fire district that covers several cities and you could save some money that way not a lot of money but some money you you could have we have regional dispatch now we didn't used to, now we do. I, I chair the, the board that handles regional dispatch for Cleveland Heights, University Heights, Shaker Heights, uh, South Euclid, and Richmond Heights. Hmm. And we're actually talking about merging that into, into the larger Chagrin Valley dispatch hmm. so that we can cover you know, the large East region, save costs on, on you know, health insurance of all things, hmm. but also make qualify for certain funding for 911 and otherwise. And you know, here I'm talking about dispatch and here are the right. sirens. Dispatching it's, it's is like happening on as cue, we speak. On right. cue they're here. Right. <laughs> you set that up? You, you, you almost <laughs> would think that you'd have to. It's like, people are like, did they edit that in or what? <laughs>
<laughs> so it, yeah. throw another uh, an yeah. idea that I had recently because everyone in Cleveland complains about the snow mm -hmm. plowing. Mm -hmm. Why can't we plow the main arteries communally, like Cedar mm -hmm. and and Warrensville? Like, and we all do a cost sharing mm -hmm. to make sure that they're all uniformly plowed. Like, yeah. is, is that something that oh, it, it's, talked about? It's, we haven't talked about it, but we could talk about it. You, you know, that is something that, uh, you, you know, it's certainly some, something where we are seemingly in our, in our 59 little silos, you know, of, of, of every single community here in Cuyahoga County just doing its own thing with regard to, to that. You know, why couldn't we do that? Well, some of it's that, uh, you know, how do you get there from here? Now, now, you know, brought up severance uh, earlier, you know, and maybe the bus depot could go there. Maybe, maybe a regional service center goes at severance. Mm -hmm. You know, while you're trying to figure out what to do with the yard over at Noble, maybe you figure out over at severance, you know, where you could put a, a regional software on a regional facility for, you know, snow removal equipment, sure, but for, but for all the service equipment. Mm -hmm. You know, Cleveland Heights is looking at going to curbside automated. I got a big story about that I could talk to you about, uh, and and you got uh, and you got um, you know we have our own trash study here, our own solid waste study here, and and there are changes that we ought to be making here that that are being slow walked, and uh, and and but could we be doing regionalized rubbish pickup? Well, well, there, you know if we commit to the same method of pickup, we certainly could be doing that, and there would be savings that could possibly. Be done there a certain you know and, and, you know the savings without a disruption in service you know what what people often associate is is well i'm going to get less somehow out of this and if that if that's going to be your thinking well then you know maybe things won't change but if you get the basic service that's required then there may be other efficiencies that are created and i don't want to sound all corporate here but 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 there but you know that ends up in savings. That ends up in return services. If, if we're able to, there are times when you can actually do more with less. It sounds like you know magical thinking, and sometimes that unicorn actually does appear. And then when it does, you should you should you should follow it because there are times when you can do more with less. And if you actually do do those things, well, then everybody can benefit. Uh, there have been a couple of online petitions circulated recently uh, by Cleveland Heights residents. Uh -huh. One looking for a dog park. Do you have any experience with dog parks here? And like, why wouldn't Cleveland Heights have a dog park? It seems insane that we don't. Hmm. Really? You think that's insane that we don't? I mean, that's if you want to appeal to young mm -hmm. people to move in, it's an mm -hmm. obvious thing, an amenity that should be somewhere in the city. Okay. It, you uh, don't like dogs, that's fine, no, but like a lot know. of people like dogs. Oh, no, I'm not saying I don't like, I don't, I like other people's dogs because then I don't have the upkeep and right. the maintenance. No, my, my <laughs> point being is that I don't, when I look at the pantheon of issues for a civic government, I don't see that not having a dog park is the deal breaker for, oh, I'm gonna buy this house in Cleveland. It's, oh, there's no dog park. I'm it's just one out. of those things that like mm -hmm. you see and you're like, that's what like places where okay. young people wanna move have that, that amenity right. is one of those options. Okay. And we have the green space for it, like in certain areas. Do you? Don't you? I mean, <laughs> well, Forest Hill, I don't know. Oh, like, well, that's just it, where? <laughs> I mean, you, anytime you build a, something like a dog park, you're, 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 you're well, you're, you're actually having to find some place to put it, and, and then where, whatever you were doing with that space before, it's no longer that. It's right. now Sim a How about behind Simon's, off of Lee, uh, Euclid Heights Superior, like behind the old schoolhouse mm -hmm. there, mm -hmm. is a huge empty oh, field. Okay. Where it used to be, like, it used to be the, the, used to, the, the creek used to run there, then I don't know, years ago they covered it over, so they encased it in the, in yeah. the culvert. Okay. Mm -hmm. How about right there? In that wood, it's surrounded by woods. It's a gorgeous, underutilized space. Mm -hmm. 
That actually is a good idea. There you go. Okay, solved it. Don't you have one? Uh, you didn't need me at all. Don't you have? <laughs> don't you have a? Don't you have a dog park? No. No. Oh, no. you don't. I thought we you don't have, have a dog park. No. What about? It's got people with dogs. No, but around. people people walk their dogs here, but but they're right. yeah, they're not supposed to be off leash. And, here. and you get your chicken stuff all squared away. Yeah, basically, there there are not that many chicken coops in University Heights. If you walk along the perimeter path right over here, you'll see one over there. But you're allowed to have them, and yeah. the, the debate was 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 reasonable. The, the sky didn't fall. <laughs> the debate was reasonable. I've used that so many times. Uh, and then the most controversial thing that you're going to say no comment on is the petition to have joint pool passes where where residents can use both pools. I'll comment on that. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah not this year. It's not going to happen this year. Okay. No, this you're year. You're not against it in principle? In principle, is I'm it not. Next year in Jerusalem? I mean, is it, you know. No, 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 no. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it, you know, we had people come to our city council meeting too and express that they wanted to see that. And this year, I'm just trying to get the pool open, period. Right. And we're probably going to have limited, uh, we're, well, we're certainly going to have a limited capacity at the pool. So the idea that we would open up a larger universe of people who could use the pool but then limit them. Right. It doesn't make sense to do it this year. Okay. It just doesn't. Uh, but your residents, you don't, see, you wouldn't see a groundswell against it. I would assume they might be against it. That that's well, their, their precious spot. There will be like some my brother-in-law who lives off of Silsby says that. Like you're, you're not, you're not, you're not getting in. There are some people who say that now. Yeah. <laughs> and Did you say those people? To me, yeah. Like from, yeah, yeah, like me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I don't I, want the I, water I, slide. I, I'm I, fine with Cumberland. Well, I, you know. I will tell you, I will tell you this about 2019 and, and the pool. In 2019, we actually made available a non-resident pass. Huh. And now that's not the same as having re reciprocity. Right, right. But we offered a non-resident pass so that if you weren't a resident of University Heights and you wanted to pay a premium, you could join our pool. How hmm. much was that? If you, I, I just uh, in general. It, was, it was like double whatever the pass is. Oh, okay. 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 Um, how much is a pass? I'm just, cause I don't. Uh, heck, I don't know. A family, okay, a family pass, I think was $140. So maybe it was 280 for okay. a non-residential. Uh, okay. and, and these are, these are just. Right, I know. In, I, and, and this year the, the, the fees are, are bound to be different cause we're planning on splitting the season into thirds. Right. And, 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 you know, we're not making people buy a, a pass for the whole season because what if there's a, 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 a kick up in, in cases again right, and, exactly. and, you know, you're right, you know, yeah. so, so, you know, we're, 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 we're doing some different stuff this year. But back in 19, we offered this pass and it was controversial. There were folks that didn't like that at all for much of what you were saying, Adam, you know, it's like, well, this is our pool. It shouldn't be anybody else's pool. People shouldn't just be allowed to come here and use our pool. Well, I was getting a lot of complaints that were kind of related to that about all these non-residents who are using our pool. There are all these people here and they don't behave the way that our people do. You sold like what, 10 passes? Yeah, that's where I'm getting to. It's like we sold almost none of these. And yet it's because it was like. on the list of things that were technically available, it suddenly became this, all these non-residents yeah. are storming. It's like, these aren't, these are your neighbors. Right. Yeah. And you haven't taken the time to get to know some of these folks because we have a lot of new people moving into the city. So, mm -hmm. so they're just here using the pool just like you are. And because you don't know them or maybe they don't have the same skin color as you or, or, or whatever it is, you think they're outsiders. You don't think they belong here. And you're going to blame it on this policy when in fact there are hardly anybody that's actually bought the pass and even fewer that actually used it. <laughs> so, so it was more that the, basically you were able to realize that the behavior of University Heights residents in general mm -hmm. was offending other residents of University Heights. Yes. And then they were blaming it on, you know, people yeah. from Cleveland Heights or wherever else. <laughs> well, but it, it does go, I mean, it does segue because you're talking about regionalization. I've always yeah. been of the opinion that when you're talking, you know, uh, Mayfield school system is a good example. If you're going to talk about regionalism, when people think, oh my God, everything's going to be huge, the first step would, should be 
what are combined school districts? Co combined school districts is almost like an, the easiest one in recreation services. I think if, if you can't have a universal pass, a degree of reciprocity where, okay, if you're a CH resident, you pay X amount. If you're South Euclid or Beachwood and you want, you know, as a visitor, to me, it's, you know, what's the, the a RITA deduction, if you will. And RITA has the worst forms. I hate RITA. RITA is the worst of them. They make the IRS seem nice, in my opinion. Only because I had to get my, my dig at RITA. I freaking hate RITA. So quickly to wrap up, uh, mm -hmm. Um, my wife wants to know if, if Dylan is your middle name. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Dylan's your middle name. Yeah. And then, uh, what's your what? How are you telling people right now in terms of a second term? Well, during the state of the city, uh, I, I described how how I really I had this list of things I wanted to do, and I thought I would get them done in four years. And with the pandemic, that became impossible. And there are things I want to see through. There are things that that are going to take more time than the time I have left. So. I do intend to make some kind of announcement to, towards that end, you know, in the next few weeks. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's so. Am I? Uh, will you accept that it sounds political? I know, but but. I mean, yeah. I take it for mm -hmm. you know what it sounds like that yes. it's likely. Well, um, I'd, I'd call it likely. Well, if you're going to do Phil Donahue, what are the things that you haven't accomplished that COVID derailed that you didn't get? What was on your to-do list that you haven't been able to finish? Well, finishing out University Square is the most obvious okay. thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, and a lot of it is in the field of, of economic development and community development. And, and so many things got set back as a result of, of that. Um, you know, I called University Square the big domino because until we figure that out, we're not going to figure out Wiley, we're not going to figure out municipal facilities, we're not going to figure out other redevelopment opportunities because until that piece of the puzzle is, is resolved one way or another, we don't know what we're doing with the rest of the stuff. I, I don't even, I can't even decide if we're going to, we can't decide as a community if we're going to rebuild our city hall where the city hall is, or if we're going to take it up to Cedar and Warrensville. Because if University Square isn't going to be redeveloped, then we need to look at that for a future home of a fire department, a police department, a community center, uh, a new city hall. And, and, and that be that, have that be the thing around Target and Macy's. <laughs> Uh, we have an episode coming up of, of the podcast where we're going to fight about uh, Lee Meadowbrook. Mm. Eric is a proponent of uh, housing in general. Developing the land as was intended. As was intended. That's why mm -hmm. the city bought the land to begin with. And mm -hmm. I'm more in favor of a gathering place for local, you know, people to take food from local businesses on Lee Road to go mm -hmm. to that mm -hmm. spot. Did you guys have that battle with housing here? Like, were there people that wanted housing and versus the, that kind of, you know, um, property tax uh, and income tax yeah. generating uh, using this land for that purpose? Well, here, no. Um, the, this land had been up for sale by Fuchs Mizraki, who had purchased it uh, to have uh, a private school. Operated that out of the old, old Northwood School until they built their, their, their newer building out in Beechwood. And um, they put it up for sale, and it had been for, up for sale for a while before the city uh, eventually purchased it. Uh, there were other opportunities perhaps to develop it. It is technically zoned and still is zoned U1 for single-family housing. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's not on a main road. So uh, it is out in the community. We have, uh, you know, as you can see, there's houses here on all sides. And uh, you can see just a little bit into our service yard. So just a little bit of, of city facilities is, is across the street here from from the park. 
Uh, I suppose the thing I would say about Lee Meadowbrook without really taking a side on it is, is Lee Meadowbrook is on a main street in, in, in Cleveland Heights. So, so it, you know, the, the situation I wouldn't say is on all fours with what we had here. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a main road right there. You have other development right there. Here we have houses. So to have anything other than a park or perhaps more houses, um, might not fit right here. Mm -hmm. I understand that Mayor Rothschild years ago envisioned perhaps putting City Hall here after Northwood was done. And um, obviously that didn't happen. And I wouldn't you know, support tearing out a park to rebuild municipal facilities right here. <laughs> but there is some creep going on. If you see these two white houses right here, uh, those houses uh, are actually owned by the city and have city offices in them. And um, one for a long time had but then the next one, uh, that's something we did during the pandemic. As we were trying to spread out and, and create more space for our city employees, we went ahead and moved offices into there. So I guess the municipal grounds are creeping slowly but surely into the park or next to the park. Well, and also if you think about it historically in regard in, into that debate, you would have, it was school property, then they sold it to Betsafer in 92, just before I came on the school board. So then Bet Safer had it, so that was a nonprofit again. So theoretically, and, so, and since it's been farmland, it never was generating property taxes or revenue. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, which is vastly different from Liam Otterbrook as well. Mm -hmm. um, since we're talking about housing, you want to talk to us about uh, how things are developing at, um, at Taylor and Cedar? That's a, that's a joint mm -hmm. sort of neighborhood, you know, we share that we have mm -hmm. shared interest in. Yes, yes. Uh, over at uh, Cedar Taylor, we uh, uh, in February, uh, so not that long ago, we we um, uh, our city council approved the planning commission's recommendation uh, to to build a housing development of 30 new townhomes, and uh, the uh, that's a project that's been going on that we've been working on for nearly three years. Uh, we created a community investment corporation with this project and projects like it in mind. Uh, the uh, by having a CIC, uh, unlike negotiating directly as the city, we're able to pick and choose who we want to work with, and find people that will further uh, the the uh, vision that we see for the community. And we discovered that uh, and determined that we would like to work with Kinez Homes uh, because uh, we like what they've done elsewhere. We like the uh, work they've done. Uh, in Ohio City and Tremont and Willoughby, um, various places around Greater Cleveland. So, having the uh, the CIC work directly with Kinez, uh, petitioning, you know, working with the school board to help us assemble the land, and uh, and then finding something that was architecturally appropriate would enhance that area and help bring it up. Uh, I mean, the inoculation jokes will, will, will never cease, but it's a real shot in the arm, you know, to that district to have 30 new households coming in and, uh, and, 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 and bring that to the businesses there in the district on both sides of the street, both for University Heights and Cleveland Heights. So I, I, think, it's, uh, I think it is a big deal. I think it's a great thing that we're doing up in that district and will help both cities. We happen to have a member of the architecture police here. Eric, do you have any comments on the on that development? Well, have you been looking at sure. that development? Well, I, I guess my, my questions would be, well, well, first and foremost, are they going to be doing, is it going to be speculative build, or basically meaning that they build prior to having a buyer, or are they only going to build them as they have buyers? Ah, yes. Well, uh, 
it's, it's, this is how they intend to do it. Um, these units are basically three or four unit blocks. And once they have sold two in a three or four unit block, they will build that block. So they aren't gonna wait until they've sold all three or all four, but they would do wanna sell two of them before they do. And if they sell quickly, then they may go ahead and just build them all even as they're selling them, even as they're marketing them. So they're not gonna build it and then market it. They're going to be marketing it shortly. They're working up that marketing plan now. And uh, there's still some legwork that has to be done. They still have to come back to our planning commission with a, with a lot consolidation and a lot subdivision plan. But that's a little bit more, uh, uh, a little bit more about housekeeping. I mean, the, 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 the basic plan of what they wanna do has been approved. So. Uh, those that consolidation and that subdivision plan will just follow what what's, what's already been approved. What's going on with uh, Temple Manuel? Is that is anyone purchased that or is it still for sale? Uh, I understand they have a buyer, okay. and um, I don't know who that is. Oh, okay, they have not come to the city. What would you, you the mayor versus you the city? What would what would you like to see there at Temple Manuel and that site? What I'd like to see there is mixed use. What I'd like to see there is, you, you, ever, you ever been down to like State and Maine, down in? Uh, in Kent, uh, or Hudson. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. 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 You know, That's univer development. Yeah, University Heights never has a downtown. University Heights doesn't have that central space. I mean, we have this space, it's a park, but, and, and uh, we don't have a central space in our municipal facilities because we have no community center. What I'd love to see is something there where people go, where, you know, it, kind of a city within a city right. even, you know, a, a place where people live, where they shop, where they congregate, you know, not unlike what you see over at, at, at uh, Legacy Village, I suppose, but more like what you see at State and Maine. Last thing, we have a huge portion of Cleveland Heights that loves to come out to your Memorial Day parade. Mm -hmm. uh, it's gonna happen in some, some form this year? Some kind of parade is gonna happen this year, whether it's Memorial Day or 4th of July, uh, and whether it's a socially distanced kind of motorized parade or, uh, where we have a much larger route or whether we have something that's more traditional. The thing that we're wrestling with kind of internally, and, and I brought this up in the state of the city and, and I intend to have some kind of decision you know, by mid-April, is to commit to one or the other holiday and, and then try to do the best event we can for that holiday. And our feeling is, is if we go with 4th of July, which is on a Sunday this year, and it's a three-day weekend for folks that get a holiday out of it, would be to, we, we would be more likely to do the more traditional event the longer we wait. Hmm. Now, I know that, that Shaker is considering a Labor Day parade when normally they do a Memorial Day parade. Hmm. So, you know, kind of with the same idea. Uh, I know we have the 11th District Labor Day Parade. I'm not keen about trying to hold our Labor Day Parade at the same time we have this, this big, historic, uh, long-standing Labor Day Parade. I, I feel like that may be too much on one day. Mm -hmm. um, maybe I'm wrong, but, but uh, we're looking at either keeping it on Memorial Day, but having it be a little more scaled back and more motorized and nobody on foot and expanding the route so that people don't congregate in one parade route, but, sure. but have a lot more space to spread out on. Or waiting a few weeks and having something that's more traditional. Any final thoughts that you'd like the people of Cleveland Heights to know as we continue on this mm -hmm. uh, sort of uh, arm in arm, but from a distance, you know, journey here the next, you know, 10 years or so. What do you, what well, would you like to say? 
I'd like to say I'm excited that, that, that you're going to have a mayor. And I'm looking forward to hopefully getting an opportunity to work with whoever that person is. Uh, I, I know there's some, uh, you know, early prognosticating, you know, I already don't like people that are coming forward, you know, that kind of thing. I think you've already got four great choices and there may be more coming. Um, you know, I'm not saying that any one of the four is already naturally for sure the person that it ought to be. Um, I've talked to all four and they're all thinking the right things. They're, they all got the right ideas. They're all thinking about the right things for, for the city of Cleveland Heights. And that's exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, it, it stands to, to bode well. I'm looking forward to a really positive, thoughtful campaign about, you know, competing visions, competing ideas, and, and the community getting to pick something that, that, that hopefully more closely reflects what they really want to see going forward. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and I think you might have that person there already. I mean, could there be others entering? There might be, but, but you've already got a good field of people to choose from, and I'm excited for Cleveland Heights right now. Thank you, thanks for your time, much appreciated. Oh, you're welcome, thanks for having me.